Welcome to Secrets to Selling Your Business, the podcast for entrepreneurs and business owners looking to unlock the secrets behind successful business transitions. Join our host, Jacob Koenig, a partner at Woodbridge International, as he gives you the knowledge to navigate complexities, embrace strategic shifts, and prepare you to sell your business with no regrets. At Woodbridge, we know how to give you the wisdom to achieve your ultimate success. And now, here's your host, Jacob Koenig. Hi, welcome to the show. Today, we've got a guest from uh, Citrin Cooperman, Marilyn Garcia. She's a partner at Citrin Cooperman's Transaction Advisory Services Department. Marilyn, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jacob. So Marilyn, could you start by maybe sharing a little bit about your journey in the accounting and advisory world and, and how you became a partner here at, uh, at Citrin? Yeah, of course. Um, I uh, started my career, uh, I was actually a finance major looking to possibly get into investment banking, but I graduated, uh, not to age myself, I graduated in 08. So I quickly transitioned my senior year to accounting <laughs> just to have a job market. Yeah. Yes. Yes. To have a guaranteed uh, position. And it wasn't even guaranteed in accounting. And then there were a lot of callbacks and positions that were taken away. But um, I did start my career as an auditor at Rostin Cass um, in New Jersey, transitioned to the audit team in our LA office to have a different sense of coasts and business and, um, after five years, I transitioned. Uh, we started our transaction advisory group at that firm. I transitioned and started with Citrin Cooperman back in 2014. So I've been here for 10 years. It's been a great transition. I mean, Citrin Cooperman is, has a lot of different expertise. So anything I had not seen before, industries I haven't uh, had experience in, I quickly learned. There are a lot of knowledgeable partners and experts and quickly learned how to play the game internally and uh, made partner uh, fairly quick. And it's it's work I enjoy uh, transitioning from audit is, is a typical thing in transaction advisory, uh, but there's much more value added in transaction advisory, I think anyway. So that's an easy transition for me. You know, in the transaction advisory department, you're working with uh, both buy side and sell side. Is it is it tilted more towards one direction or the other? Yes, yes, no. So uh, when I started my career, I was primarily buy side, and that's really quality of earnings. When you heard that, it was mainly private equity heavy buy side, strategic buyers, and so that's that's where I was. So performing financial due diligence for the buyers, private equities, strategic buyers, independent sponsors, um, any financial lenders. Then um, we did some sell side assistance, but it was more on, hey, the buyer's asking for this. If they were internal clients, we'd put things together, analysis together, um, help them with their, putting their reports together. But I'd say probably in 2000, after COVID uh, first began, as we can all recall, the market just uh, became much more aggressive, right? What it was that Q4 in 2020, everybody was ready to put their money to work, uh, poaching all these sellers who weren't ready. Sellers that because of COVID became ready, acknowledged they were tired, we can't do this anymore, didn't know how to pivot or continue in this environment. So with that, you know, sellers became much more sophisticated and efficient and saw the value of having their own quality of earnings done prior to any LOIs, prior to being poached again, or they wanted to understand the terms, the process themselves, obviously educating themselves is, or educating the seller is a big um, aspect in the process that we do. 
And um, yeah, so it's about a third of our practice now. And I work heavily, I work mainly with the South side. Oh, got it. I do that now. Yeah. And, and how do you find working with, uh, with business owners and entrepreneurs? Uh, I love it. I love it. You know, um, I mean, we all have experience with entrepreneurs, you, your team, uh, we do. I, you know, I, I enjoy interacting with them because I have had, I've been very lucky with interacting with very smart people. They've either began or continue to run their business efficiently, you know, cash is king. So understanding their mentality, their story, how they got to where they are is very important in understanding the information I will be receiving and, and helping them put that in paper, right? Um, the numbers to work with what they're saying. So it's a challenge sometimes, right? Because they understand their business up here, the numbers are up here, and sometimes not representative in, you know, their accounting software, uh, which is, you know, normal, and that's fine. So it's uh, it's fun to engage with entrepreneurs who are very intelligent, and then helping them and assisting them on the financial due diligence side with the accounting with their reported number adjusted numbers and really helping them educating them understand what the numbers are saying and how to move forward and really grasp that concept if it's not what they had in their head exactly or do you find sort of common themes that pop up very frequently among business owners where there's certain aspects of their own business that they haven't really thought of in a certain light or or otherwise? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, with M&D, right, smaller mom and pop shops where they don't take the time to capitalize certain things or have labor capitalized for the equipment or understand what their true margins are. I mean, they understand what it is, right? They, they, they made cash, they have the revenue, they're covering at the working capital, but getting it to the right place on the reported financial statements that we're writing isn't all there. And, and we make certain adjustments on like, Hey, you're not capturing overhead correctly. And this is what that means. And this is why we have to make certain adjustments to really yeah. normalize what that margin is. And, and thankfully, you know, many times um, it's close to what they had in their head, not exactly what they had in their head, or they thought, oh, we aim for 30%. Oh, well, this is saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's, we, that's, uh, especially cash to accrual being a, a very common one that uh, uh, we yes, struggle yes, yes. frequently, but, you know, and, and especially around um, deferred revenue, revenue that's uh, come in early that, that, okay, well, now that's a debt because you haven't mm -hmm. fulfilled the service yet. Mm -hmm. uh, walking through those concepts, it makes sense. Everyone understands it conceptually, but uh, how that impacts the deal, and, and uh, especially if we're already under LOI and, and going through the numbers, oh, maybe that's a little bit different than you had in, in mind initially. Absolutely, absolutely. And that being said, I, I mean, what I have preached every time I'm part of the conversation early on with sellers before there's an LOI, um, even on the buy side, we always push for that. Like, let's establish, let's start these conversations early on. Let's talk about working capital, right? We don't have to decide on the target, but let's decide on the methodology, what's included, excluded. Let's take a preliminary look, kick the tires, right? Before we start heavy due diligence, but let's get some kind of understanding. Because it's um, an emotional process, right? For Especially for the business owner to, to sell their their baby, their uh, their life's work oftentimes, the family legacy even. You know, this is, yeah. this is a monumental event. And so those emotions come into play. How do you 
have these types of conversations about the numbers, especially if there's a surprise later on. Do you have any kinds of secrets or, uh, or, or stories? <laughs> yeah, that you could share I, so. I mean, my I don't know if it's a secret, but I, you know, what works for me all the time is really um, creating and establishing a relationship where they feel comfortable in having vulnerable conversations, right? It's very important. Like I mentioned, educating the seller is a big piece. Um, depending on the seller's personality, being educated can go both ways, whether they're appreciated or, you know, I they obviously know more than I do about their business. And that's, you see that often. They know more than the buyer about their business and they don't want anything lost in translation, in transition. But really establishing and creating an environment where they feel comfortable to talk about anything, what they're worried about, um, talk about their concerns. Um, the less we beat around the bush, the more efficient and better the product is. So I definitely start with uh, creating an environment where it's safe for them to say whatever they want to say. Listen, I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, this doesn't make sense to me. You know, you know what you know, you don't know what you don't know. So it's very important to have them feel comfortable to let me know. Safety, right? I think that's yeah, yeah, it really is, right? It's it's an emotional, overwhelming. They're going to be talking to buyers that are going to throw out terms. You know, buyers aren't very, not always very patient with one. And so you want to, I always want to get ahead of, let's just talk about what's happening. I walk them through the process. And that's before we talk about numbers, right? Again, I have to create that environment for them to feel comfortable and really mm. accept the feedback and sit down while I walk through numbers and what that all says. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's something that's super important to develop that trust, to develop that, uh, that again, that space of, of safety where you can be direct, honest, transparent, because frankly, oftentimes what we find is is even a small difference in the numbers could then trigger, okay, well, now I'm having cold feet and this is an excuse for, for me to express those pent up feelings, uh, frustration. Right, right. Or they'll say, you know, and that's why, you know, we talked about working capital. That's always very important. Um, it's hard to think about it. If you think of yourself, somebody that doesn't understand accounting or doesn't really work in accounting or numbers really, working capital, what do you mean I'm giving them my AR? I worked for that AR and they're taking that cash and, you know, so it's small concepts like that, um, that I don't take for granted. And I want to make sure that the seller is aware of what things like working capital mean and how it works and why it's fair, why it's included in the, and what they're buying. Yeah. And Marilyn, you've got experience, I think on over 200 transactions, uh, maybe even more over the course of your career. <laughs> yes. The COVID more. <laughs> but do you have any examples of anything that was a particularly challenging deal and, and how you navigated those complexities? Yeah, I mean, many, 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 many. <laughs> Maybe something within the, the COVID space, uh, you know, I know, especially coming out of COVID now, the period uh, in, in the post-COVID world where what is what is the normalized level of, uh, of certain um, networking yeah, capital? Yeah, or... I, I think of one that just recently happened. It was related to deferred revenue right. and uh, working capital, whether it's included in what we're targeting as working capital or indebtedness, right? Who's yeah. keeping that, right? Are we deducting that from the purchase price? Or those conversations are always difficult to have and to justify that. But in this case, on the sell side, I always fight very hard to keep, you know, what's fair and not what's standard and what's an easy formula. Oh, no, nope, deferred revenue, 
we learn that. But right, there's a concept to deferred revenue where is it in AR? If it's in AR, it should just net itself out. Let's keep that in in working capital. And or how much of that has how much of that cash collected in advance and how much work has already been put to get put together for that product that's sitting in deferred revenue that's not an AR yet and you've collected cash. So those negotiations are sometimes not part of the conversation I'm in, uh, but sometimes they are, right? You want to get accountants included and, and show the numbers on how to validate certain things. So that was a, a big win because yeah. we were able to keep deferred revenue in and a percentage of the cash that was already collected because there was a certain piece of it, uh, one, the margin that's associated with what's going to be collected afterwards and really working through and crawling through the data to really validate and confirm what work has already been done. That has not been, it's not built AR or unbuilt AR because that's not how the company processes it. So those conversations are always great and challenging to prove what's not standardly accepted or not something that you commonly see, but it is fair. So I'm all about yeah. proving what the financials, the reported financials might not already have on there. But yeah, and then obviously sometimes the clients are challenging me, whether I'm on the buy side or sell side. But again, I really am able to work through that once yeah. you know they understand that we're on the same team and I'm not you know, not trying to do anything to harm, whether again, whether I'm on the sell side or buy side, I'm not trying to prove anybody wrong. I am just trying to look at the numbers and understand what the normal lies EBITDA or working capital is your customer relationships, et cetera. I really like that concept of being on the same team, right? And especially working as an advisor, like like we do at Woodbridge, uh, accountants with lawyers, with uh, whoever else might be involved to, to be speaking the same language, really yes. aiming for the same goal. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. At coordinating and, and cooperating with, with other advisors. Absolutely. So yeah, if I'm on the sell side, I'm typically working with investment bankers and attorneys and the whole, you know, from the beginning pre-LOI to the end, reviewing mm-hmm. the purchase agreement, making sure that everything that's accounting related, financial due diligence, tax due diligence related is there. And, and I think that's extremely important to have good relationships across the board because we are all on the same team. Even if there's topics we don't necessarily agree on, it's as easy as having those conversations. And again, nobody's trying to prove anybody wrong here. It's just a matter of getting it right and getting it done quickly. Absolutely. And speaking again to your experience, have you seen um you know the transaction advisory services MA landscape evolve over your career and and where do you see things heading in the future yeah i mean again the evolve i started at in transaction advisories when it was just private equity right that was the hot topic then um and yeah it's evolved i've seen it evolve from working with banks that required clients to do audits right, to validate numbers. I've worked with a, a lot of clients that no longer, because of the time frame, right, an audit and QV is different and we're providing different information, but I've seen it evolve where the banks are, do appreciate a quality of earnings much more because it has the monthly, has the EBIT as they want to understand where the business is and how quick are they going to get the return on their their money and their investments. Um so I've seen that evolve the scope of work. We've, um, you know, there's traditional quality of earnings, but I'm working with, you know, 
small mom and pop shops that don't need or have the money to do a full-blown QV. So I'm assisting in different analysis and um, getting pulled in, whether it's by the attorneys or investment bankers that need certain um, analysis run, whether they don't have uh, availability on their team to run it, or they need a third party to come in and take care of that. And obviously after COVID, uh, the sellers, um, the seller's market for my services just exploded. And 2023, as we all saw, was slowed down. I don't know if you want to consider it down or normal again, um, post-COVID. But uh, personally, my 2024 is looking um, at least Q1 much busier than my Q1 in 2023. So Mm -hmm. I'm very hopeful that with what's happening in the economy, um, I mean, we're still up in the air with everything that's happening, but how long can we continue to hold on to? Yeah. I mean, on one hand, we have the uncertainty with the election, but on the other hand, it looks like maybe we're reaching to peak rates. Uh, yes. <laughs> so who knows? But I, I think a lot of my clients anyway had, uh, had were conservative in 2023, and I think they're ready to move. Yeah. Big moves in 2024, which is good. Excellent. Well, on that note, that was all I had prepared uh, for us here today. Is, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience? No, other than, you know, I um, I think the transaction world is, uh, and how I've seen it evolve, I guess it speaks to here. There, there's just a lot of advisors uh, that do add value. And it's it's important for, you know, if I'm speaking to sellers to know that, you know, not to get intimidated by the amount of, you know, the volume of your team or the costs of certain things, a lot of that can certainly be discussed. And um, there's always a way to help you regardless of what you think you don't need or what you think you can't afford. You know, I hate to hear that when somebody just has a low budget because we can certainly help you in certain matters or, you know, help you understand that it's all going to make sense after you sell. <laughs> I mean, a dollar spent today could be uh, another five dollars in your pocket. Absolutely. So, being prepared, um, being educated, knowing your business, your product, the way a buyer is going to look at you and look at your numbers is—it's only guaranteed that you'll have a better outcome for yourself, emotionally, financially. So, it's better to be prepared. Always be prepared. Always be prepared. Mm-hmm. I like. It. On that note. Marilyn Garcia, partner at Citrin Cooperman. Thank you so much again for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Secrets to Selling Your Business, the podcast for entrepreneurs and business owners looking to unlock the secrets behind successful business transitions. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and their insights. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts.